Abstraction, the A Hope for Home podcast. That song you just heard was Tomb of Giants by one of my favorite bands from Portland in the past 10 years or so, Soul. And I bet you can guess why uh, uh, you heard that song. And that's because we have uh, the former vocalist of Soul, uh, someone I have known for 15, 16 years. Has it been that long? Yeah. I- uh, it's something like that. Yeah, I think about, I think it's, yeah, coming up on 15. Man, it's Josh Wing. Josh, hello, hello. <laughs> what's happening, my man? Not a whole lot, man. Good to see you. Yeah, I so. Talk to you. Thank yeah, you for having me. Good to see you, man. Um, yeah, I wanted to have Josh on because, um, one, I wanted um, to, to pitch, even though it's his old band, he's no longer in the band, but it was it was amicable. You're still friends with those guys, right? Yeah, they're still good friends of mine. I still love those dudes. Uh, they're still yeah, They're yeah. still playing, right? Yeah, they are. They they have a new vocalist named Jesse Payne. He's uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to like hearing the next record for sure. Cool, I love it. As I was saying, I wanted to have Josh on one, uh, to pitch this band and you know hear the stuff that they have with Josh on and you know their new stuff as well. But two, I wanted to hit, have you on so I could yell at you to be like, <laughs> where the hell were you guys in 2007 when we were nerding with delay pedals? And we only could play with metalcore bands. Uh, I don't, actually, yeah, I, I wish that would have happened. But obviously, uh, I was also in a metalcore band that we ended up playing with you guys. So, well, okay, well, that, yeah. that was a good band, but you know, yeah, what? thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I wish that would have happened. I, that would have been a fantastic show for sure. So, on that, let's uh, let's talk. So, like, yeah, we we went to high school together. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Camus High School. I graduated in 05. You were... 08. 08. So just a couple years later. Um, but yeah, so we yeah. all started kind of out of the same scene. I'm sure this is going to come up on the pod uh, a lot. Um, yeah. Kind sure. of out, just outside of suburban Portland. For those listeners uh, outside of the area coming from Facetown or something else, um, a lot of the guests you'll hear this sort of Portland scene, I feel like, emerged we're kind of cheating to call ourselves Portland bands. Um, Cause a lot of us are yeah. just across the river, um, Vancouver, Camas, Washington, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, in any other city, it's just a suburb of, of Portland ostensibly, but there was this scene and this thing that happened, I would say 2002 to 2007, eight or so. Um, lots of really interesting bands. Um, Believing in June, one of, I think Portland's greatest bands of all yeah. time. Um, Definitely, uh, yeah, way ahead of their time. Yeah, I way think. incredible. Um, uh, face down listeners will know, obviously, Inked and Blood. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the singer for Believing in June's a old band, Brutal Fight, put out a record on Strike First. Um, obviously Great record then, as well. Obviously, then our band, Hope for Home, other bands sort of in this area. Um, and Josh, I feel like that's where I really met you. It's like we, you know, went to high school together, but the mm-hmm. age difference was just enough. I don't think we saw each other, but like we met at shows, right? Uh, yeah. I, I remember, yeah, we met each other at the noise box for the, the first noise time. Box. Yes. What a, what a venue. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I, I say that, but there were, I definitely have like some very fond memories of that place. Totally. Uh, it made our band. I mean, that's how we. Like, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I remember I met you through Todd Farr, uh, one of the original guitarists of A Hope for Home. That's right. Because uh, him and I were talking quite a bit back then. And uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a really special time for sure. I agree. So 
It's 2006, seven, eight, nine. Uh, you're getting started with music, starting bands. Um, tell me about it. Like you were in a band. It, it was called Bring Me Solace, right? That was your right. Yeah, band. yeah, yeah. We were like a progressive, like melodic, like metalcore band. Mm-hmm. Definitely influenced by like, Misery Signals, like Between the Buried and Me. Um, yeah, it prevails at least for a couple of us. Uh, but yeah, that was a really special time. I was like 19 and 20 when I was in that band. And it was definitely, and I feel like you could probably speak on this for, you know, uh, Hope for Home with like Hear the End and like Everlasting Man where you're so focused on, like you're young and you're so focused on the music and it's like you live and die by that music. Uh-huh. And it's so just like tunnel vision. And uh, it it felt like magic, honestly, just how <laughs> that all came together and all of our chemistry together. But um, obviously it was very short lived and I was pretty heartbroken over it, but mm-hmm you know, I uh, obviously joined bands after that, but yeah, that time. Yeah, I agree. It was like, you know, which by the way, when we, uh, when we played that noise box show with you and it was like the sky electric Amos Val, I think opened Amos it. Val, Nate, my, my, my main man. Yeah. We'll probably yeah, have to which, soon. Are they, are they still a band? Cause that I band was so. really good. I okay. So. Cool. They were an incredible. Um, yeah. Post-rock band out of Portland. Yeah. Yeah. They were, uh, that show was really cool. Cause it was like, I obviously back then, like I loved like stuff like Misery Signals and like heavier stuff, uh, kind of in that metalcore vein. But also, like I still loved experimental music and you know, whether it be it post rock, ambient music, yeah. or like that was a because we played that show. I think after Realis released, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But yeah, which by the way, uh, Realis is still by far like my favorite record by you guys. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, which. The- yeah, it's the one that I think is our defining record that if I could yeah. take one to the grave, it would be that record for sure. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I love all your guys' records. Like, uh, we've talked about this, you know, before, but uh, I feel like your guys's like, progression through music, definitely the, the years that you guys were really active was kind of the same progression of my music taste, and that was really oh, cool for us to kind of, like, evolve together almost. And I like this. Uh, yeah, because uh, like I still remember being like sixteen years old, like practicing vocals to like casting light. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, which is pretty funny using like a comb for a microphone. But yeah. uh, but honestly though, like like especially like Nathan's vocals were definitely a big like early influence for me. Oh, so uh, I I definitely I honestly like I'm not just saying this like I owe you guys a lot you know as far as like getting into music and all that. Thanks, but. Man. And well, yeah, and then know. listening to uh, Everlasting Man not too long ago, uh, for the first time in like several years, uh, that record holds up. Like that was a that was a good record, and I thought it was cool how you guys went from Everlasting Man sound, which you know I think if you guys would have continued doing the Everlasting Man sound, you guys probably would have sold a shit ton of records. Yeah, uh, but I think it it really speaks volumes that when you start when you you know when you came out with Realist. And making the music that you want to make, I I don't know. I respect the hell out of you guys for making that decision. And I mean, I obviously personally like Realis better, but like Realis and Abstraction, like I when I think of Hope for Home, like that's definitely like what I think is like those two albums. Uh, Thanks, man. That but, that means yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean it. <laughs> I mean, um, we've sold more records of uh, the Everlasting Man than anything else, um, and that was our. You know, I we put it out on strike first and it probably should have been a, a face down release. And I don't mean that like we were a band ready for face down. I mean that insofar as like 
musically, it kind of fit that thing better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'd be lying if I said we planned to like, oh my goodness, we are tired of this thing. We're going to be artists now and, you know, write 10 minute songs. It's like kind of just what happened because of what we were listening to. And in fact, I remember... I remember sitting on the couch at Red Room Studios, Chris Common, Matt Bayless's studio in Seattle, where we did the drums for uh, and mixed um, Realis. And I remember listening back to the mix and we had all just quit our jobs and we had bought a van and like, we were going to do it full time now. And we're listening to like, a, you know, nine minute vocalist song. And I just remember being like, oh no. What what have we done? We're <laughs> fucked. Nobody's gonna buy this record. And sure, it did not sell as much as uh, you know, the Everlasting Man. But you know what? Wouldn't change it for the world. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and so anyway, that that means a lot, man. But like, let let's jump to that because I feel like this is probably right around the time we started hanging out a lot more. And I feel like at, something mm-hmm. you said was you know we all really started to we were you know, we were people who had legs in sort of the metalcore world. And even if we weren't always 100% in, we sort of, we were there, right? Mm-hmm. And then our interests kind of started to diverge and we started listening to weird shit and like started to experiment yeah. more. And um, and then there was that definitely... kind of strange period where we were in that world, but like doing weird stuff. So yeah, tell me about that with you at the time. Uh, yeah, like I definitely remember, uh, yeah, friends of mine who definitely were not the most open-minded towards this kind of music. And I actually remember a friend who I will not mention his name saying that like the new Hope for Home record referencing, you know, Realis was like pretentious. Hell yeah. And <laughs> I just remember, yeah, and I just remember thinking like, this album's fucking awesome, man. Like what are you talking about? Like, uh, and obviously like I got where you guys were coming from. Cause we, I feel like we're at the same time kind of got into like Cult of Luna, like yeah, Envy, totally. ISIS. Totally. And, uh, yeah, and even like when I started like being in like post metal bands, like definitely had a couple of friends who they never said anything about it, but definitely didn't support it in the mm-hmm. sense of they were very quiet when mm-hmm. I talked about those bands. I mean, there's a version of it that it totally makes sense because I remember like, if not on the surface, at least sort of psychoanalytically like buried deep inside. Like I, I, we were writing stuff, but we knew it was wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. the scene was so hegemonic at that moment. Um, and if you strayed that much from what was accepted, like you were fucked, it was, your Mm -hmm. band was over. Um, and of course, you know, uh, restrictions breeds, uh, interesting results, I guess. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, that totally makes sense to me that like you're the guys in your band were probably like, dude, we can't do that. Like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Scene politics are scene politics. You don't mess with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a really strange time of, uh, I get the sense it's not like that anymore. Yeah. I don't need, I think like, I, I guess it's hard to say cause I, I feel like the, the scene, if you will, is a uh, very, very fractured, yeah. like in so many different directions. Uh, so it's hard to say what is and isn't now, but mm-hmm. so, so, so let's stick with that and let's, let's, so let's talk about your, uh, your listening journey here. Sort of like, as I think the, mm-hmm what you just sort of out outlined was your way into this and in making it to soul. Um, you brought up cult of Luna, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. 
if probably yeah. at the moment is my it's not my favorite band of all time but at the moment it's probably my favorite working band um and i know they're really important to you um was that yeah, like totally kind agree. of the bridge to out of misery signals or <laughs> yeah uh, i would say like cult of luna obviously as you know is like my favorite band like somewhere along the highway is uh, my favorite album of all time. Uh, Masterpiece. It means a great deal to me. Uh, but also like uh, like Rosetta was definitely a big band back then that kind of took me uh, out of that where I was just like, you know, I don't really want to do this, like the metalcore thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to do this music that's more atmospheric, more introspective, more uh, deeper. Mm-hmm. And not to say like there's metalcore bands that aren't deep because there definitely is. But uh I don't know. It just wasn't speaking to me anymore, which I, mean, I think it makes sense. Cause I feel like when you're younger, like a genre, genre like metalcore and kind of like that faster, uh, more melodic kind of music, it speaks to you a yeah, more, yeah. but as you get further down, you're, you get older and like you experience more things, like things are not as, I guess, cut and dry. Yeah. So I think with some misfortunes, I think in life, uh, you know, bands like Cult of Luna that are low on the darker end, it, uh, you can relate with it a lot more. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's spot on. That's exactly right. Um, and of mm-hmm. course the, uh, market for, uh, you know, late twenties, uh, burnt out, bummed out people is not, uh, as lucrative as the market for 16, 17, 18 year old kids with, uh, parents money to buy records. So, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what's your favorite cult of winter record, by the way? Oh man. That's a re- that's hard. Um, I will say, uh, okay. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna be an asshole and cheat. Um, Can't do that. Nope. Uh, <laughs> well, well, it's two different questions. I'll say yeah. my favorite, and it's but their masterpiece, which you you brought up. I think their masterpiece is somewhere along the highway. That's a mm-hmm. like that's a like really without exaggerating. I think it's a monumental achievement in heavy music that. Um, you know, everyone always talks about the holy trinity of post-metal, right? You know, Cult of yeah. Luna, Neurosis, and Isis or whatever. Um, but there's a reason why Cult of Luna is included on that. And it's because they were a, a doomy band. And then they released this insane record that, like... And I remember, at the, you know, like, reading interviews at the time, and they're like, we're not a metal band. And of course, shut up. You have a guy screaming. Yeah, and, for sure. But, like, they were really like, we don't... We're not playing, like, metal. Like, we're doing weird, mm-hmm. you know... At, a 12 minute song of like weird, you know, acoustic sort of Swedish instruments. And like, yeah. So that's a masterpiece. I think the one that I listen to the most and that I sort of feel the most attachment to is probably vertical. I think. Yeah. That's a great um, album. I think it's this, definitely very underrated. Yeah. The songwriting on that album is really great. Um, mm-hmm. Where I think um, some of their other albums that are equally as, you know, incredible have, you know, in, I'm, I'm not saying this to generate 10 minute songs. We actually, I'm very excited for our new EP that's coming up. We have our first song that's over 10 minutes long and I'm very excited. Yes. But vertical really, I'm I also think, excited. Yes. Uh, but vertical, <laughs> I think gets at a really interesting spot where they write really good songs and yeah. And what in like, um, vicarious redemption is like 10 minutes long too. So it's not that mm-hmm. there's no 10 minute songs, but that like, I think it's um, actually, if I remember right, I think it's like almost 20 minutes, even, even longer. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Um, but, but there's something about vertical that I keep coming back to. And it's probably also the, like, you know, I'm a film person and it's like kind of very, uh, uh structured around Fritz Lang's metropolis and, Right, I, just, I like that. But, so that that's I, uh, 
I always loved uh, when people would comment like on Cult of Luna's page or like Johannes from Cult of Luna's Facebook. Uh, when that album came out, I remember people being like, so how do I sync up uh, Metropolis with uh, with Vertical? And yeah. it's just like, you can't because they're like different links. <laughs> Uh, I think people kind of missed the point of like, they were obviously very inspired by it, but it wasn't meant to be like a Pink Floyd and, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz type. Right, thing. exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's aesthetically resonant. This is not, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So Cult of yeah. Luna, you know, Rosetta, another great band. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Mouth of the Architects for sure. Oh God, probably. my God. That, yeah. I mean, that is why um, we were, that's why we did our drums with Chris up in Seattle is I remember we were on tour with hands and we were in Fargo, North Dakota, and we had just left Cornerstone. Um, and Jason was like, you're bumping up to face down. We're giving you this little budget, um, figure it out, you know, who you want to record with. And I had just before that tour discovered Mouth of the Architect. And I just remember sitting before the show at this weird coffee shop in Fargo, North Dakota and listening to that record with like nice headphones and just being like, I, this record sounds so good. Yeah. Like it still to this day is one of my like three favorite sounding records. The drums on that record are just incredible. And I whipped open my laptop and did all the research and found the email. And I emailed Chris and I'm like, we need to book studio time please here's how much money we have recorded yeah. um, that record yeah yeah i uh, i think quietly like the drums on quietly and like the drums on realis are like yeah two of like my favorite like productions like drum production sounds it's, it's just chris, Common. chris Com- yeah chris commons drum sound is like i don't know i just love how like you can hear the room exactly yeah yeah, I mean, and that was the thing at the time, like, you know, this is going to sound like an asshole tooting our own horn or whatever, but like at the time in uh, the sort of metal world, like you program drums. And part mm-hmm. of it was a budget thing, right? Which guilty of, by the way. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, we're probably going to have to do it on the new record because A, we don't have money and B, we live 3,000 miles away. But there's a difference. And here's the difference. Yeah. Is that at the time, um, you know, metal bands don't get big money to make records. Mm-hmm. So you have to stretch it how, however you can. Um, and the sort of Joey Sturgis rise records thing at the time was, you know, here's this guy in, I think Ohio, is that where he's from? I somewhere, believe so, yeah. Somewhere in the Midwest, I think Ohio. Um, and he figured he was out- definitely, can, He was definitely, uh, he was the dude to a lot yeah. of people, for every, sure. Every record it, from that, like, 2004, 2006 moment was Joey Sturgis. But, like, he figured out that, like, I get a, a Line 6 pod, and I plug the guitars into that, and then I program, I, we'll set up a drum set, but we're only going to record the cymbals and every drum hit will be programmed and then we'll go and we'll just replace everything a hundred percent wet, replace all the mm-hmm. hits. And those are the drums. And, you know, one of the records I think about that it's a record I really like, uh, but it's the first for the fallen dreams record. And oh yeah. The, yeah. Changes, right. It's a great tunes. Catchy. Yeah. The drums sound like garbage, utter yeah. shit. <laughs> it sounds so bad. Um, that's yeah, I remember time. especially the, like the double bass on that album definitely sounds weird. Yeah. It's just obviously computer going. Yeah. <laughs> so we were at the time, we're just like, fuck this. We're going to literally like, we've recorded everything up to this point. We have our own studio. Uh, we're going to spend all of our money on drums and have real drums in a room where you can hear that there's wood on the walls and the sound mm-hmm. of the snare will echo in the room. 
Um, yeah, I think we had a, or well, I had like a similar journey with uh, going from Bring Me Sauce to Soul was definitely like, I, like I said, like the Bring Me Sauce years were great. I have very fond mm-hmm. memories of those. Uh, I love those dudes still. Uh, but yeah, definitely going to Soul was like, I want to do something that's like very opposite to yeah. that. And obviously, like I sincerely was like, I that music spoke to me. So and yeah, and, and I'm not here to shit on on program drums because what I've what we've found, great for writing. <laughs> it's, they're so great for writing. And what we found is like, so we really started to mess around with doing stuff totally digitally um, when we wrote in abstraction. We sort of started to write it. Tanner really started to kind of write stuff on his laptop on our last tour, and then we came home and we were working jobs and back in college. And we mapped stuff out in, you know, at the time, GarageBand um, with just, you know, like, I think we had Amplitude guitar, like, plugins at the time. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, haven't really done much stuff since then. Um, and now that we're, you know, as I said a minute ago, like, separated by 3,000 miles and just all over the place, and we're trying to record this record, and, like, we went and just downloaded sort of all the new programs, and holy shit, this stuff mm-hmm. now sounds incredible. I like yeah. can't tell the difference. Like I can't tell the difference with stuff now, and so when I go back and listen to that, like for the Fallen Dreams record, which you know it's great songs, it's just like this sounds like two thousand eight. I know yeah, this, absolutely. this made in two thousand eight, and I listen to stuff now, and I'm like, I who was is this real? I don't know. Sounds good. Yeah. So no, for sure. I, I'm not anti. You know, I'm not. I'm not anti programming at the time. It was. I, I think what pissed me off at the time is that it was. Uh, People were willing very to live sterile sounding. Very, exactly. People, and people were willing to live with stuff that sounded crappy. And mm-hmm. like, I'm not willing to live with stuff that sounds crappy, even if we don't have the money. And now yeah. you, don't, you don't have to. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is amazing. So talk about soul. Yeah. So soul comes sort of out of this moment. Um, I actually don't know how it started with you in the band. Like, tell me that story. Yeah. So, uh, so Soul was started by myself and uh, my friend Rusty Powers, uh, who plays guitar in Soul and uh, still does. Uh, we started that band. Uh, we actually met his old band, The Hedonist, and then Bring Me Sauce played together. On a, I never knew. Yeah, that. yeah. Which, no. by the way, The Hedonist, great band. Like they, uh, I think they have one EP, but fantastic, just instrumental post metal. Great Portland band. Great band. Yeah, definitely. Like I feel like a darker Pelican. I would. Ooh, I, would, I like that. Yeah peg them i guess but uh yeah so we played together at the hawthorne theater with uh, almost as nothing uh which uh yeah they're like a. How, do you remember almost as nothing i remember the name uh, i'm trying to like think of like how to describe their sound but anyways uh we played together and i remember talking to him after their set and i was just like that was really awesome like i love this kind of music like at the time i was just like i i was like really into russian circles so yeah uh yeah, so we we kind of kept in contact after that, and um, then we eventually, you know, became good friends, and we had a lot of chemistry to get like together, and we liked a lot of the same movies, same music, obviously. Um, and you know, we decided like, hey, let's because uh, we were both not in band, so we t- wanted to, uh, you know, start like a post metal project together, and uh, we were re- really influenced by obviously Cold of Luna, but uh, also uh, Boris. I know it was a huge influence for, uh, for Rusty. Um, Year of No Light was definitely a big influence. Uh, but we definitely wanted to make post-metal more in the vein of like more of the doomier side of post-metal. Um, so yeah, we, uh, after that, we put out two records, uh, Black Mountain and Upheaval. 
which uh, Black Mountain came out on 1859 Records, which is like a local or was a local Oregon label. And Upheaval was released through uh, Alerta Antifascista. I hope I said that right. Great, great, uh, great label. Great guy. Yeah. And I don't know. It was cool. Like being signed to Alerta was such a honor because, you know, he, uh, Timo, the owner of that label, he put out bands like uh, Fall of Ephrafa, huge influence of mine. Great band. Um, yeah. Uh, Light Bearer, which is kind of came out of Fall of Ephrafa, but uh, um, in the Hearts of Emperors and numerous, numerous bands. Uh, so to be a part of like that catalog, I guess, of bands was such an honorable, like an honor to be a part of. So uh, that was, yeah, high, definitely high point in Seoul for sure. Yeah, um, I think you were the one who introduced Fall of Ephraim to me. Um, and that mm-hmm. band, like, in uh, the one, the song that I really liked is, it's, I think it's called Tharn, and it, they did it on yeah. a split. And like, that was the one, like, there are other stuff I could like, kind of listen to. I was like, yeah, that's okay. And then I heard that song, mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa, this is like, this is, and this was probably honestly around the time of Ray Alice, where I was just like, this is mm-hmm. what I want. This just like slow building, but like really mo- pretty melodic, but like also mm-hmm. like really simple too. And simple, but like harrowing and like there's this weight to it. And I don't mean weight mm-hmm. like a heavy weight. I mean like an emotional, like, a, like yeah. you know, just a, a, a car, like a caving out of the chest feeling, you know? And this yeah. is yeah, us coming out of uh, Everlasting Man and you know our drummer at the time and like you know really fast kind of stuff and then being (laughs) like man like what if you just sat on this thing and just like felt the weight of it um so you so you played a role in the making of realis by showing this band to me but oh shucks (laughs) but i hear this i hear this in soul a lot um Mm -hmm. uh, yeah um you guys i really wish we could have played together um i do too man that that would have been a really good show yeah we started kind of an awkward time too. Cause I think post metal was like kind of going out the door in popularity. Uh, so, but I think we were just, we were just doomy enough for a lot of like doom fans and like sludge metal fans. So oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think we were able to get by with that. And I think there wasn't, I think, yeah, when we started, there wasn't really any post metal bands in Portland. Uh, so yeah, that would have been really cool to play with you guys. I think so. <laughs> have, like uh, have a brother, post-metal bands totally i think so and that sounds right because it was like at the time we sort of had this naive illusion that like we, we decided on our last realis tour that we weren't going to tour anymore because my mom was paying my cell phone bill and i was 25 and i was like i mm-hmm. can't do this anymore also it was during the recession yeah. things were terrible um but like we had this illusion that like we'll come home and we'll just play shows locally and we'll like write records and just be a cool art band and then it was just readily apparent that even the scene we were talking about um, earlier in the pod, um, that sort of, you know, lots of people coming out of shows, this very productive scene, it was gone in 2011. There was like really yeah, kind of nothing. Absolutely. So we played a couple of shows and it was just like, shit, it's over. We're like, see you later. I don't know. And it seems like in the sort of years following that, a new thing kind of kind of blossomed and i feel like you guys were really a part of it like i remember this is going to sound very goofy you guys got a write-up in the willamette week and i, I remember yeah, being yeah like, i remember that you motherfucker we never <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah, it was also so cool because it was like we were like this scene that we're like we were getting you know we sell out shows and like had really successful great shows but it was like it, it never kind of globbed on to some broader thing and like your, you guys started to do that, I think, at a moment when the scene was diversifying and there were cooler bands 
with, you know, not just all white people and not just all men. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, that was just so cool to watch from afar. Um, Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was really heartwarming and I felt very accomplished when going from like Brimmy Sauce to where, um, like, like I told you, I was very heartbroken after that band broke up. Cause to me, that was like, that was the band I was supposed to like, you know, get signed, do mm-hmm. all these crazy tours. Uh, and when that didn't happen, I was, I was depressed for honestly like a year. Yeah. But, uh, so when soul happened and it's a band that Rusty and I started from the ground up with obviously the help of like various friends who have been, uh, in and out of the band, uh, it, it meant that much more to me that kind of, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes kind of feeling and to, to get a write up in like Willamette or, uh, we got a write up in Kerrang like a couple years ago. That was oh like, my God, I knew fuck. That. yeah, fucking cool. uh, which it, yeah, it was like the 10 like best, like Portland bands or something. But, uh, that was, yeah, I don't know. It was amazing. That's so cool. I'm just, I was so pumped for you, man. Thank you. Um, let's talk briefly before we move on. Um, stick with soul. Let's talk about the song we played uh, at the beginning, Tomb of Giants. You chose this song. Why did you, why, why, why did you choose this song? So I chose Tomb of Giants. Uh, obviously, it was the last uh, song that we recorded together uh, before oh, okay. I left the band. Um, it's also the song I'm probably the most proud of, like lyrically and vocally and just musically. Uh, I think it's the best thing we ever wrote together is that lineup. Um, so yeah, that, I feel like that was definitely the peak of our... Uh, our creativity full at your full powers yeah <laughs> i love this uh, part sure. i love this i was just listening to this song in before recording this again and i love this part Yeah, and like, what I love about this is, this is so you, and you know, I don't know Rusty, I don't know the other guys, but like, uh, I feel like, you know, we really bonded over bands like Cult of Luna and Rosetta and these sort of like slower, pretty bands, and uh, they were still heavy, but you at the time, I feel like we're starting to really get into a lot of like black metal stuff, and I only, really, only until recently, and I will admit part of it is being locked inside because of COVID, uh, Mm I never- (laughs) A lot of time on your hands. Oh, yeah, exactly. I had never really sort of dove into that world. I'd watched that Mm. classic, canonical, incredible film about uh, the the Scandinavian, Norwegian black metal scene, Until the Light Takes Us, which maybe we could talk about later. But, like, that was the extent of my knowledge of that world. Um, But anyway, when I hear stuff like that part, I'm like, this is one thing I think that made your band so cool, is that... uh, Thank you there are a lot of rip-off knockoff bands, especially in post-metal, yes, but especially post-rock, like the Explosions in the Sky, This Will Destroy You rip-off band, where it's like, they do just those yeah. builds, <laughs> and they do those builds, and it's like, it's pretty, but it's like, it's easy. or another good example is fucking, uh, another good example is YouTube ambient guitar players, and they will spend $15,000 on incredible gear. And it sounds oh my God. remarkable, <laughs> but it's just like, it's the same shit. Too perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's too perfect. Um, and so this part in the song, I'm like, 
there's this beautiful buildup before it. And there's this doomy part. And then you do this really fast, like, like, I just, I think that was so interesting. And um, thank you. I like, honestly, to be honest, I don't know a lot of bands in Portland. I mean, you know, I don't know what the scene is like now because I live in Rhode Island, but like at the time that I think was a really radical thing in the scene. Well, uh, no, that, that means a lot coming from you. So thank you. Um, I think what I've always loved about soul is like, obviously first and foremost, we were, you know, uh, you know, cult of Luna clone as someone once called us, but uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, being, we were first and foremost, like a post-metal band. However, we also want to take influences from like, from doom, like funeral doom, like black metal sludge, uh, even just like ambient music and just yeah. kind of throw it all together and hopefully it all makes sense and, you know, make a nice cocktail of sound. Um, I think we were fairly successful at it. Uh, but yeah. I love it. Well, shit, let, let's talk about this because this is something I've been really interested in lately. Um, I'll say the way I started is when we started writing our new record, um, downloaded all the software so I can plug my guitar in and like actually start writing stuff with amp modeling. And I got really into, I know you know this band, Panopticon. Yes. Um, the solo project of Austin Lunn, who also runs a brewery in Minnesota. Um, oh, Minnesota. Oh, oh yeah. I, I had to do it, sorry. <laughs> to our last episode, we'll uh, know about Fargo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just outside Minnesota. No, but um, really, in, like in, in Austin and Panopticon does everything himself drums you know plugged in i i think he even designs the album art and everything um great band um and i sort of like have this fantasy well, i'm focused on the hope for home record now but i sort of have this fantasy of like starting a one sort of one-man project i can release stuff on Bandcamp. but the thing is like the genre of one person recording everything sort of low not lo-fi but like yeah. not super, super professional and putting it out is like, it seems like black metal sort of has a corner on that market, right? Yeah, it's definitely, um, uh, it's called Bedroom Black Metal. Bedroom Black Metal. What, no, what was it? Bedroom Black Metal Solo Project. Yeah, yeah. But like, anyway, I, I kind of started to dive into it and it, was, it helped that I was in New England um, as covid started when it was technically still winter and so it was still a little cold and weird um and i'm just like locked inside mm -hmm. and like i'm just starting to listen to like all these bands and i'm just like holy shit there's like this stuff yeah, is so I mean, interesting and i immediately it, thought of you because like i know that you were a big black metal guy um yeah so definitely your your uh your way in because it's it's definitely not something that you you immediately like you don't go from creed to to burza you don't go from <laughs> you know yeah. i just started listening to foo fighters and now Bathory is like my my jam right for sure and i actually think that going from like post metal to black metal is really not that much of a stretch if you think about it because they're both genres that are so focused on atmosphere and i especially think uh and my theory of maybe why you've gotten into black metal correct me if i'm wrong like recently is i feel like black metal is such a great genre music of like you feel isolated or feel mm -hmm. i don't know it really taps into that kind of isolated lonely wanderer i guess yeah no, that's, longing that's right. for something that's exactly right yeah yeah uh yeah, but yeah, yeah and i think uh, the thing that that had always um turned me off to the genres you know as a sort of pretentious audiophile or whatever like it sounds like shit it sounds awful yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> not just it sounds awful but it intentionally has to sound bad 
right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the rule. Um, and I'll, I'm, I won't lie, it still bugs me a little bit, but like that's what always kept me from it. But then I started to like really listen and be like, oh shit, no, this is a this is an intentional decision that like the sort of amount of despair that it's sort of intentionally trying to be articulated through this like yeah to be done through this thing that sounds awful like the song that i'm really thinking of is uh fenry's is uh, dark throne that like the mm -hmm. canonical that famous um what's the song called um oh transylvanian hunger transylvanian hunger and it like yeah. sounds like crap in like if you if you play a, a you know well produced even post metal song on Spotify and then play that next like you're getting a like oh my god is it 128 <laughs> you know is it kilobytes yeah. like what what is happening here is it tape is this tape to tape to tape to tape third generation what's happening yeah and I know with Transylvanian Hunger in particular uh, that was recorded on a four track recorder where it was uh, two guitars bass and drums and then their vocalist uh, Nocturnal Colto uh, recorded his vocals over that recording incredible like at, i think like at a professional studio so it's yeah. yeah obviously like it sounds like shit but like it makes sense and the atmosphere is there and you know i know it's cliche to say but cold riffs the, the riffs are cool i mean that that's the thing that really got me into it is um the riffs are good and like mm -hmm. you know I, I mean some some of the best post-metal stuff for me oscillates between the doomier stuff that will have like a, a just cool head bangy riff, but then obviously ambient textures. Mm -hmm. um, but the black metal thing is like, I mean, there's that sort of crossover and we should talk about this in a minute. Um, I'll get there with like Cascadian black metal. Um, mm -hmm. But like, obviously there's this big crossover with a lot of black metal bands that have become ambient bands, right? Like wolves in the throne room or is yeah. it that over? Yeah. 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 Who are now just purely like ambient, but like those first records yeah. are black metal records. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously there's a connection there with like ambient metal, but at the same time, the actual, like just pure real black metal stuff, the stuff that I think is really interesting is the really riffy stuff, which is yeah. really interesting to me. I don't, I like people don't play riffs anymore. I know. Uh, you know what happened to riffs? Riffs, yeah, like, riffs are way cooler <laughs> than breakdowns or like mm -hmm. even genty stuff. Like give me a riff, man. You know? Yeah, totally. Uh, and that's what I think why Dark Throne is like in my top three favorite black metal bands is uh, Dark Throne has always just been about the riffs. Yeah. Like everything else is second. Like it's all about the riffs. Cold riffs. Yes. Cold, <laughs> uh, cold riffs. I love this. I love this. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you, because I, I feel like I only have a vague understanding of it. What is Cascadian black metal? Uh, so from my understanding, I think that term was basically created in reference to Wolves in the Throne Room, which fantastic band. But, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And obviously it's, it's definitely like a bio-regional kind of term. Like, I don't know, you can't really be a Cascadian black metal band and be like, I don't know, in Texas or something. Mm. Like it is about, you know, the Cascadian range. And uh, I know there's a few other bands that are under that label, but I, I think it's a... I think it's a really good term though to uh, classify kind of, cause I, I mean, if you listen to wolves in the throne room and you listen to, you know, black metal band from say Norway or Sweden, it's very, very different sounding. Totally. Uh, like, especially uh, like uh, wolves in the throne rooms, two hunters record and celestial lineage. I listen to those albums and like, I feel like I'm in a mossy, you know, Cascadian forest. Exactly. Like it, it feels that way. And that's why I love black metal. It's like, it's the atmosphere. And I, I'm obviously 
you know, biased because I'm also from Cascadia and from the region. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, those are my people. I'm from, from the area, right? Yeah. No, but I'm, but I'm also very, like, I think place plays such an important role in music. And this is a thing we learned on tour when um, mm-hmm. from the Pacific Northwest at a time where there was a, a, a productive scene that then, as we mentioned earlier, kind of died out. Um, I mean, what was the throne room playing at the time, but they were on a different level from us altogether. Although I did see them with ISIS at the Hawthorne theater and they, man, that must've been crazy. They laid the <laughs> entire stage with candles. And before they started, somebody just walked individually lighting each can. It probably took 10 minutes to light each candle slowly. And I'm like, I'd never heard of this band. I'm like, what the hell yeah. is going on? How, how did they go over with that crowd? It, it was great. It was great. It was really cool. great. Um, I was, you know, this would have been, I think, thousand nine eight nine um i didn't quite understand it at the time um but i thought i mean it's cool like the atmosphere is cool and smoky and weird and, mm-hmm. um but no but but anyway where i was going with this is like place is such an important thing and, and the thing we learned is we left the pacific northwest where even though we were the weird arty band in portland seattle we realized that our label and our scene in our genre was two places, Southern California and the Midwest to South. And that's where the kind of like Christian metalcore scene was. And we realized that we actually didn't really have, we didn't want to be in that scene. Our label was, and we didn't realize that the music we started playing came out of that scene. But then it was like, we got there and it's like, oh my God, there really is a sort of hegemony of that stuff there. Um, And so when you think about something like Cascadian black metal, what I really love about it is I'm like, yeah, there really, there's something specific about the Pacific Northwest here that, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a feeling, there's, there's a consciousness, there's an understanding of the area that you don't understand the music unless you know that, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think also to take it back to Panopticon, uh, did you ever get into his album, uh, Kentucky? Yeah, totally. In like this folksy, like, mm-hmm. banjo. Like bluegrass and, in there. Yeah. Like, and it like, it like works. It works. Oddly enough, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I feel uh like with a hope for home and like soul, um, I feel like when you listen to, you know, obviously like in abstraction and uh realis and then like souls albums, uh, I feel like our region or you know, the cascades, like I feel like that translates into our sound. Maybe I'm being overly romantic, but I hope so. I do I so. sincerely believe that though. I hope so. That was honestly, if there was one goal, that was one of them. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah. So let's talk about black metal because you were the first person I really knew who got into it. Um, and I was so interested in it and always from a distance. Um, and as I said, I, I think my way into it was watching that film. Um, the story of, uh, the, all, of those bands in, in Norway, right. The, the mm-hmm. famous stories, church burnings, Spursum, uh, death, suicide, uh, mayhem, uh, Euronymous's murder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always so interesting to me from a vague distance, and I didn't really quite understand it. Um, and it plays such an important role, I think, in the metal consciousness, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely like, you know, from like 1990 to like 94, the Norwegian black metal scene was, uh, chaotic it was dark and uh, i feel like it definitely has a place in music history for sure like whether you're a fan of the genre or not it's it's there yeah and like you know 
as a person that likes metal, like, and obviously not condoning what happened, but like, mm-hmm. there's something that's almost, there's this kind of lure to it where it's like, okay, the, the lure of metal is it's evil and your parents hate it and the church mm-hmm. hates it and you're going to say bad words. <laughs> ha 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 And like, it's almost like they were like, oh yeah, do you, you really want to be evil? We'll actually re- literally like mm-hmm. you want to piss off the church. We, we'll, we'll literally burn it down. Yeah. Um, I think there was like two really interesting things that happened where you obviously had uh, like black metal kind of stemmed from like protesting against like very, very well done like production of like death metal. That right. Was, like, kind right. of the counter to that. Starting at the well. same time, the sort of Florida right. scene and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like the kind of like we were talking about earlier, just like that overproduced sound and kind of them like giving a giant middle finger to that, which one of the reasons why I love black metal is because Mm. of that. But but also I think with Norway being such a, you know, well put together country, you know, not a whole lot of bad things happen there. I think they definitely, you know, being edgy teenager was one of the, you know, cause some chaos. So, I mean, that's something I think that really shown through interestingly in the film. Um, Yeah. And they have these interviews with Burzum, who, of course, or, you know, Varg, the band's Burzum, uh, who, of course, is a reprehensible white supremacist fucking Nazi, like, just mm-hmm. utterly despicable. Um, but he sort of in this scene... his best friend. <laughs> is what? And also killed his best friend. And also killed his best friend. Yeah, exactly. Like, just a, a... And now he just... It's hilarious. I've been, like, going to his website and just reading his shit, and he's just like, I just want to play D&D. Like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. He, uh, I don't know if you know this, but he actually released. He came out with his own uh, tabletop RPG. Oh my god! Seriously, is it like yeah, super racist? It, like, yeah, it's racist <laughs> as fuck, man. It's, Jesus. Uh, you can only play as uh, light skin characters. Oh my god! And, the, yeah, and no joke, the lighter skin you are, like the more magical you are. <laughs> he's and, not even like a smart racist, you know? Yeah. Like, just he's just like, what's the lowest bar we can possibly do? Mm-hmm. You know? And like the dark skinned characters are uh, NPCs that you can't play as, but uh, yeah. And when he got called out on this, he was just like, what do you mean? It's just, it's just a tabletop fantasy game. Like it's hilarious. Like how ridiculous that man is, (laughs) but but there's something really fascinating that happened in this film. And uh, I, I would pretentiously, I guess, tie this to, I think, you know, our moment right now, you know, the presidential Mm -hmm. debates were last night and a, horrifying horrific moment at the end of towards the end of the debate was chris wallace the moderator you know asked trump uh if he would denounce white supremacist groups right i mean in, in part of it's so annoying because it's the same thing we've been fighting since charlottesville you know it's like oh, well, yeah. well the left's bad too and this kind of thing and he won't do it he won't do it because he he cannot denounce anyone who ostensibly supports him right yeah absolutely because he knows he has to have enough people and joe biden of course brings up the proud boys, which he shouldn't have done. And Trump says, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like, stand back and be ready to go or stand up. or oh, uh, Yeah. Stand back. Uh, st- like stand back and stand ready. Something along. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. In bad dog whistle, really bad, really bad. But I was thinking about that. And when I was thinking about this film and I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that um, Varg says uh, in this film uh, that a lot of these people were thinking is this is, you know, late eighties, early nineties. And this is after 
the sort of the neoliberal turn in, uh, mm. you know, uh, free trade deals and, um, the world is changing. Right. And yeah. the thing that really pisses off Varg, well, okay, sorry. The excuse Varg uses to be a racist asshole is he hates the church, not because of like doctrine or dogma or whatever, but in a fucked up way, like he's like, okay, but it actually is true that like, you know, Europe was colonized by Christianity in the, in the Middle yeah, Ages, right? Absolutely. And it did, des- I mean, it's so long ago now that it's absolutely incomparable to the fact that like, we are still living through, like what's happening right now is the effects of, you know, the colonization and enslavement of Africans. And that is mm-hmm. what is happening. Like we are living through something that still is the result of that, right? Right. Um, and you can't quite say it like no one's no one's subjugated as a as a pagan in in the in the UK or something like that, right? Right. But vaguely abstractly, like they did, you know, come in. Christianity like the history of Christianity like did some really heinous shit. Um Yeah, absolutely. And to use that as a tool then for this super racist reactionary thing is it's just really interesting, right? Because it's almost like, I don't know if this is right, but it's almost like a more complicated and more um, uh, constructed version of Trump's dog whistle, where it's just like, proud boys, go beat him up. Uh, who cares? Da, 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 da. No, you're absolutely right. Because I mean, Varg is like, yeah, Varg's like, well, what if we actually, like, okay, here, here's a better way to say it. And then I'll shut up and let you talk. Oh, no worries. <laughs> here's a better way to say it. Trump, Trump's, thing is modeled off the kind of like brown shirt nazi shit of like let's kind of bring it back to the 50s where it was really where it was great and you didn't have to see black people on tv and you know women knew their place and blah 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 blah. but it's almost like varg's right-wing psycho nazi shit is like no, no 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 we have to because it's europe you couldn't ever do this in america because white people only came to america in the 15th century varg's like let's go back to fucking like 400 AD, 400 BC, right? Like mm-hmm. that's actually the foundation. We have this thousand year history before all of this stuff. And it just, it's so interesting to me that that became a thing in black metal, right? Yeah. Like rightfully so, like you should be pissed off at the church. I don't know. Why is the only way to do that through eugenicist Nazi shit, right? Yeah. And that's a, uh, what I found in, uh, until the light takes us, uh, which uh, there's a few points that Varg brought up where it's like, I agree with you, but the way that you're taking it to like the, being this like racist uh, nationalism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being against multiculturalism. Uh, it's just like, I'm, I'm not going to ride on that train with you, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously. Uh, but I will say I, there's, there is a giant criticism with that documentary and I, I agree with it. I, I do love the documentary, but they definitely, gloss over a lot of his racist views and i wish they would that is true you're right you're absolutely right yeah. it paints him a little too lightly yeah yeah like i wish they would have questioned that a little more <laughs> obviously but yeah. so what do you make of this like i mean it's just really interesting to me because the other thing i'll say is there are also a lot of awesome kick-ass like anti-fascist leftist black metal bands mm-hmm. so there's something about it, it i don't think the sound itself is fundamentally racist, fundamentally tainted by this kind of reactionary thing, right? I mean, this is why we like metal, is that metal is in, you know, hardcore and punk, whatever, like anything that springs from the trees, fundamentally 
designed as a sort of, you know, punch back against all forms of authority. And there's something powerful there and it's useful, but like reactionary weirdos can also punch back. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. So, so what do you, as a black metal fan, how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you negotiate that? That like, it, uh, it's hard, man, honestly. It, uh, I think years ago I was, you know, I definitely listened to some black metal that was not completely kosher that not like straight up like NSBM, but like, you know, bands that had not great people in it. Um, and at the time I was like, well, I just like the music. I just Mm -hmm. like the riffs. Uh, you know, I'm not racist, blah, blah, blah. So I try to excuse it with that. And I think as I've gotten older and as I've realized, especially, you know, in the United States, like the rise of fascism, the rise of the far right, that I am indirectly enabling these people. And I definitely cleaned out my record collection a bit after kind of all of it clicking. Um, With that said, um, you know, with like Burzum, for example, uh, you know, those those first like few Burzum albums are, you know, they're monumental to black metal. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Burzum sound is incredible. And I kind of relate it to like HP Lovecraft, like, dude was a white supremacist, but he obviously changed literature and Mm -hmm. was influential. Uh, And I kind of look at the same thing with Burzum, obviously Varg being a disgusting human, but um, you know, it's Burzum, Dark Throne uh, to me uh, were really the epitome of Norwegian black metal. Fenris is all right, right? Yeah. uh, Yeah. They, uh, I hope so. I like him. Yeah. The the early nineties, uh, there was some kind of sketchy things, but dark throne has since like denounced that. And I mean, yeah, I I believe on one of their more like punkier albums in like the late two thousands, uh, they actually have like a, uh, what I'm forgetting this song title. Uh, it's like, Oh, I am the working class. So, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I've read interviews with uh, Fenris as well. Like you talked about, you know, when I was younger, I used to get really angry about race, and uh, you know, basically he kind of realized he was wrong and focused more on music rather than kind of following like the path of like Varg. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, that, that's sort of what I was saying earlier, right? Is that like this is, I think, that, like there's a version of the story which is correct that is like there are a lot of racist psychos and yeah, national yeah. socialist black metal that like found this scene and found other sort of disgruntled white people who are very aggrieved and want to turn this into a race war. Um, and music's powerful mm. and it is yeah. able to let people channel emotions. I mean, that, that's the, the whole thing about music is that like, if you could say it in words, you could say it in words. If you can't say it in words, you put it in an abstract form, like a photograph or a film or music that like conveys right. the idea you don't have words to say. Right. Um, so it's powerful. Of course they're going to do it. But it's almost less interesting to me to like the, the version of the story is like, Oh God, Varg is a racist and has bad music. And I'm not saying listen to it, but like it's easier yeah. to racist and bad and the music's bad. I'm obviously, but that's much less interesting to me than to ask the question, like why did all of a sudden in the late eighties and early nineties, all of these middle-class white Norwegian kids suddenly like start developing these insane racist fantasies and like started to commit acts of terrorism and murdered people. Like, why did that happen? That does, that kind of stuff does not happen in a society that is functioning. It just doesn't. Right. 
like yeah. you're, if your society is functioning, you have release valves for that kind of thing. And mm. they clearly didn't. And so that's, I don't know, that's almost the more interesting question. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying like Varg is a victim in any of this, but like just that like if we try to think about why this stuff emerges, right? Like symptoms mm -hmm. is I think a really important way to think through it is, you know, stuff like yeah. this is a symptom of a sick culture and a symptom of a racist ideology that's been festering for hundreds of years. And mm -hmm. to, to throw it on like one bad individual person, I think misses the real problem that we're facing mm -hmm. that we we are as americans right now are facing yeah 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 i i what's really interesting in the in the documentary they show this uh you know i think it was you know a group of kids who obviously edgy teenagers wanted to be extreme but i think it was obviously like mob mentality as well as like you know you have some mental illness that's there mm -hmm. like clearly uh like dead from like mayhem and uh yeah you know, clearly I, like bad News. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't be diagnosing, but I have a feeling that Varg is probably a sociopath. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think it's just a combination of edgy teenagers, uh, kind of just, you know, finding some sort of family with mm -hmm. black metal and, you know, trying to be like out extreme each other, try to out evil each other. And yeah. obviously Ooh. some, some really terrible tragedies happened because yeah. of it. Which, you know, there's a version of it that, like, I'm not an anarchist, but, like, they're probably right about no platforming. Like, you just, yeah. you just stop that. You, you stop it from the beginning. Don't let it start, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. What are some good, give me some, are, are there some good, you know, lefty, anti-fascist black metal bands you, you could recommend? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I mean, Panopticon, obviously. Who I will uh, note has an incredible concept record about Sacco and Vanzetti, who are the Italian immigrant anarchists who were uh, uh, killed by the state because they were accused of murdering um, like an armed guard in a robbery in the, in the 20s. And like, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, that's you know, super cool. I don't even know that. Reclaiming the sort of leftist tradition of like, you know, people killed by the state. Anyway, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Continue, continue. Uh, there's also uh, Don Raid from the UK is uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, they have two albums. Both their albums are great, but their second album, I for the life of me can't remember the name of it, is fantastic. Uh, uh, it's cool. They're a three-piece. It's just guitar, uh, drums, voc uh, and a vocalist who also plays the violin. And it oh, that's cool. This, yeah, and they they have like this kind of like Celtic uh, folk sound to their black metal, and really, really good stuff and very, very outwardly anti-fascist. They anarchist for sure. Rules. Yeah. I, they're, yeah. I think as far as like what's called a uh, red and black metal, I think it's what's turned. Oh, now. I love this. Yeah. I love <laughs> uh, this so much. Yeah. They're definitely, I think they're one of the best bands out there for sure. So wait, uh, so now, now yeah. I got to ask as a, as a commie, <laughs> yeah. is there, there's red and black metal. Is there red metal? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. No, I do. I don't, I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head, uh, but like on the subreddit, uh, the red and black metal subreddit, uh, I know there's been a few like communist black metal bands that have been posted. We should, uh, let's start a red metal band, Josh. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, all right. So Josh, what have you been up mm, to? Matt. It's been, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a while. You've been out of soul for how long now? Uh, about a year and a half now, yeah, which yeah. is, yeah, kind of crazy to think about, but it's, 
it's been good. It's been good for myself, like mentally and emotionally to, um, kind of, I guess, figure out who I am again without sounding too dramatic, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and it also like focused on other things. Uh, I've been able to focus more on, uh, uh, you know, for those who don't know me, um, I'm a vegan and uh, animal rights advocate. I uh, I'm currently, or I have been volunteering at a couple different animal sanctuaries, uh, which has been very, very uh, rewarding and very fulfilling. What do you What do you do there? What do you do when you volunteer? That's really cool. I like this. Uh, so it's mainly uh, a lot. A lot of it, honestly, is like picking up shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, uh, hey you, the book. Everybody it's honest work. Everybody, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, obviously like cleaning up after the animals, but it's, uh, you know, it's definitely like a very much like a caretaking job. Sometimes there's, you're helping like reinforcing like fences, uh, feeding the animals, obviously, uh, like cool little, like, uh, light construction projects. Yeah. I say light, I'm terrible with a hammer and drill. So, <laughs> but you've, yeah. you've, you've been a vegan for a while. Like, I feel like I, that's yeah, like, I think what? What, eight-ish years eight-ish yeah. years man what what drove you to this like or to like like both that and like you know working at these sort of animal sanctuaries you know can you talk about um that yeah long story short i was touch on the points but uh uh when i was 16 that was like kind of my first glimpse into uh the suffering of animals and farm animals uh i watched the documentary uh, meet your meat mm-hmm. and i was horrified by it uh I didn't know what to make of it because that was the first time kind of the veil was pulled back of like, this is where my food comes from. Yeah. And it wasn't until like a couple of years I became vegetarian, but I still remember that. I'm just like, it was like a, such a shock to the system and I didn't know what to do with that information. Um, so it wasn't until later uh, I was dating someone at the time who was vegetarian. I was having some like health stuff. So I was like, well, I'll give this a shot. And, you know, I considered myself an animal lover. So that was kind of the, you know, health and, animal welfare kind of came together and that's why mm-hmm. I became vegetarian originally. Um, and then I became friends with a couple people who were vegan and they kind of started telling me more about um, like the dairy industry, the egg industry and how absolutely horrible it is. And that was when I was like, okay, well, vegetarian's not good enough. Like I, I need to take this further. And that's when I became vegan. Um, and even then, um, I don't know. My views have continued to evolve over the years of, um, it became, you know, I was vegan and then now I more so want, I want to be more involved with animal rights and Mm. the liberation of animals. And, uh, and you know, for me, veganism and animal rights is part of like a three pillar thing that's encompasses my beliefs. And that's human liberation, earth liberation, and animal liberation. And none of those pillars can exist without each other. Um, so it's, I think for me, it's recognizing the sentience of animals and realizing that none of us are free until all of us are free. Um, and if I could quote a Joaquin Phoenix, uh, briefly who, uh, shared this at the Oscars. And I think he beautifully said this, but, uh, you know, it's about fighting against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender, or one species has the right to dominate, control and exploit others. And that to me is like what encompasses all of that. But Anyways, going back to volunteering, though, uh, volunteering and being a part of these animals' lives and really seeing them for the individuals they are has been such a an amazing experience. 
I love it, man. You were doing you were doing such important work. Um, it's so Thank cool. You. It's so cool. I think yeah. as uh, I think as leftists, you know, all of us have like a certain wing of activism that means something to us or that's close to our heart, whether it's like environmentalism or you know workers' rights or animal rights or uh, LBGTQ rights. Uh, I, you know, it's all one to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know you've been doing some activism work, and you're doing great work as well. So, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's bad out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ooh, for everybody. <laughs> well, let's end. Let's end on a less down note. Although, you know, I mean, hearing about your your work and your activism was an up note. You know. Yeah, um, it's yeah, bittersweet right. for sure. But yeah, yeah I mean, definitely, you're, there's you're there's some happiness to be had. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't have a revolution without joy. So, okay, so let's end on a lighter note. Although I will say, like. You know, hearing about your activism is obviously a, a, a good note. Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's good to know we're, we're, we're doing good shit. Um, but let, let's go back to some tunes and the last thing we say. And what I would like to do is close this podcast out. And I want to hear your top five black metal records of all time. Mm. We're going to end on a blacker note, if you will. We're going to end on a blacker note, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, I'm going to start with one of my favorite black metal bands that needs no introduction that we talked about earlier, but uh, yeah, first one would be uh, um, under funeral moon by uh, dark throne. Uh, a lot of people would say Transylvanian hunger, which there's definitely an argument for that because those riffs are incredible. But to me under a funeral moon is uh, has a little bit more like Celtic frost influence, a little more mid tempo tempo parts uh, still atmospheric uh, nocturno cultos like vocals are just super echoey and it sounds like you're just like in a blizzard and it's True. fantastic. Is that the one uh, the famous, like everyone has the shirt of? Uh, no, that'd be Transylvania. That's Transylvania. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And you were trying to not do that. one. So. Speaking of blizzards, uh, one of my other top three black metal bands, uh, Paysage de Haver, which is a Swiss black metal band. They have an album called uh, Das Tor. Uh, and it literally sounds like if a blizzard could make metal music, it sounds like that. Um, I recommend Paysage to anyone who likes the Burzum sound but doesn't want to support any like Nazi shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Listen to a Nazi making music uh, because, from my knowledge, he's apolitical. Fingers crossed, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dos Tour is just four tracks, like I think an hour of music. And it's just lo-fi, fantastic black metal. I love, um, I love that lo-fi stuff, you know? Yeah, same here. Uh, something that's a little less lo-fi, uh, but one of, my, one of my favorite, like, modern black metal bands that's, uh, you know, more, or more recent black metal bands uh, is a Finnish band called Havu Krunu. They, uh, their second record, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, and if you have any Finnish listeners, I'm very sorry. I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> if you're the one i'm sorry uh, you're very important Email yeah me we appreciate you yeah. uh <laughs> but uh, so their second record called uh kele surit soy uh yeah it's definitely very heavy metal but also also has some atmosphere uh with their riffs but great great like folky pagan black metal uh that is not right wing which is nice which is very rare and the kind of pagan black metal wing of it um 
Yeah, I, I can't recommend Hopper Crew enough. Like they, I was like obsessed with them for like months. I think kind of how you were listening to Panopticon, uh, like a ton was kind of the same thing for this band for me. Uh, so it was uh, number four. I would say Olver's uh, Berg Tag, which is well, I, I, I think I, yeah, yeah, it's so. Cool. Uh, I love all the <laughs> records, but like I don't know, Olver's like whether they're black metal, whether they're doing like a fully like neo folk like acoustic record ambient record or like an 80s pop record which is yeah, like kind right, of newer exactly stuff. yeah it's, what <laughs> it's all this? great yeah uh but yeah Bergtat is uh i feel like monumental in like the folk black metal kind of realm uh yeah amazing singing amazing like arrangements uh but still raw uh and obviously and honestly i wish until light takes us would have talked about over a little bit more i think they only yeah yeah, there's they like interviewed the singer a couple times, but yeah, there's that like scene at the end where they were like, they're like, do, they're installing like a, a, a sort of white cube art gallery thing. And mm-hmm. you like, you get the sense that like, okay, well here's someone who's like much more interesting or, or maybe not interesting isn't the right word. Here's someone who's clearly more like of an artist in the like capital A artist sense than like these 17 year old yeah. kids who are burning churches down. And then it's just like, oh yeah, they're also in the scene. And you want to be like, so we got 17 year old kids like fucking getting drunk every day and goofing off and then you have this like gallery artist and you're telling me they're in the same scene something here does not (laughs) for sure which uh speaking of like how young they are and i i won't make this drag too long but uh with how young those they were and like you know dark throne doing like transylvanian hunger like oliver doing berg tat like or like you know the, those other guys like they were like teenagers or early 20s and it's like god damn it like how are you able to like make such a goddamn like such a good goddamn record seriously like, man there's so many age. bands there's so many bands <laughs> like this where i listen to yeah I'm just like you were i was an idiot when i was 20 <laughs> yes <laughs> you know <laughs> uh but yeah and then for my final pick of top five black metal uh, records, uh, which this is kind of debated whether or not they're black metal, but I, I think it fits. Uh, the band Agalock, which is they're from, no. uh, yeah, they're from Portland. Uh, yeah, their album The Mantle, uh, fantastic record. That's a, I'd say it's mainly like a folkier metal album, but what I love about the album is like they're like let's say black metal, like folky stuff, uh, post metal that's like inspired by like Godspeed You Black Emperor because uh, they said that in, like while they're writing the record they were like listening to a ton of uh, godspeed uh and it's like let's just throw that together and yeah it's a uh, definitely makes me proud to be uh be in the northwest having a band like that that happened i love it i love it so much so yeah those are my five i love it josh thank you so much for coming on uh the Dude, band thank you is, for having me it's been an honor of course man i mean you know it's been forever it's so good to see mm-hmm. the band is soul uh josh is no longer in the band but you should still listen to the band. Uh, Agreed. Post. They're going to release an album, like, I, hopefully next year. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So Hell keep yeah. your eyes peeled. Hell yeah. We will post the link in the show description. This is In Abstraction, the Hopeful Hedgehog Podcast. We will talk to you next time.